<clears throat> and do you mind if I open that blind so we can yeah, see that? Air, light. Yeah. 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 So yeah. Nancy, that's good. Thank you. So. Have you heard how Nancy is doing, Bishop? John sees her every week. Oh, um, good. How's Nancy doing? doing? She's doing pretty good. She's back to being able to sit up in a chair and so forth. Oh. So she's able to get in and out. And she came to uh, Christmas Eve service here. She did? Yeah. Wow. So yeah, if she has she's... help, she can get into the car and stuff. She's a fighter. Yeah. First Peter. Have any late comers? Well, I guess uh, we'll, we'll, we'll know. Did we maybe have a? Some people come in five or ten minutes later, and how they how they know we're here? Yeah, they we'll put a sign down there. No word. Let's put a sign. Up. I can take a sign or make a sign on a piece of paper and. Let me log in, and I'll, I'll make one last sweep. I got to do one thing anyway. Let's see what we have to do. <laughs> All right. Let me just go make it, let me just see someone who's down there who didn't get the memo, and then we'll uh, start. Okay. Where are we? First Peter. Peter 1. 1 Peter 1. Peter 1. Uh, just starting it today. Adriana, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy. <laughs> <laughs> Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Is it snowing on you? No. No, I nope. mean on Adriana in Denver. <laughs> oh, Adriana. <laughs> um, it's, it's not snowing now, but we have a lot of snow. Uh, it's beautiful. Cold. Bad. This is awesome. <laughs> Everyone. I'm glad that there's Morning. so many people. I'm glad they figured out to do it up here. I'm surprised that we yeah. have here as many as we do today. I know. I had to drive yeah. really slow here. Yeah. One. Because I go on the toll road, and like I had a wreck on the toll road before, so like oh, oh. I'm like 45 miles with my emergency lights. Oh. <sighs> well, that's the trouble. People don't drive according to the weather, and, you know. Well, did you hide your plane on 73? Yep. 
Did you? Oh, wow. Yeah. There's been a lot of that in 73. Okay. Well, now, I mean, they were out the next day. I saw them. I was on a hike and I saw all the people, like 12 roadwork cars going to try to fix the road. When was that, Jill? That was in March. Oh, recently. March. Yeah. Six months ago. Yeah. Total of my car was four. Oh, what my age is here? I didn't even know. Yeah, it was by. Wow. Were you okay? I had a concussion. My airbags didn't go. Caught Joan on the way, too. So okay, good. That's <laughs> I knew you guys were somewhere. I was going to find you. Okay, <laughs> let's begin. Yeah. Sorry. Later. Yeah. Let's pray. Blessed Lord has caused all holy scriptures written for our learning. Grant we may in such wise hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of thy holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which has given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Can they hear you? Oh, you have a mic there. That, that, everybody will be able to hear on that. Can you hear okay online? Yeah. Okay. That, that's a very... Uh, that's, Without the, the outdoor noise, so just being outdoors means that the distance you can't oh, hear. Yeah. yeah, you don't need a mic here. And we'll be able to hear them, too. Yeah. Uh, and it was so. noisy downstairs. <laughs> There's more. So we, we had a little delay because we decided to move out of the dreadful winter weather in Newport. <laughs> Pavilion. It was rainy and, and okay. rainy oh. 59 down there. <laughs> Oh, we just too much for us to take. Uh, so um, we, we, but it, but also since I don't think we have any in-person participants now who can't walk upstairs, this may be more. I'd suggest we because it'll make for a, a a situation where people online can talk. We can interact in by where we're downstairs. Somebody sitting across the table without the speaker online. No, you can't hear them. Um, sometimes I can't hear them either. <laughs> anyway, so here we are um, on this um, 12th day of Christmas. Um, just as a, as a practical note, uh, you can ignore my, my protocols, but this last day of Christmas, the Christmas manger scene has, you know, Mary Joseph, the angel, um, the, sh the shepherds and any sheep, and also, you know, barnyard animals you might have. Um, but when Epiphany comes tomorrow, they, those go away and the wise men come. It's a separate feast. So the star, it's not, it's not the, it's, it's, it's not, well, not, not the, you usually have the angel proclaiming something and the wise men come and the, the shepherds go away. And then the wise men come tomorrow and keep them up for the octave. Of, um, I see my speakers on, so I'm going to turn that off so they don't beat me all the time. So. Mm -hmm. You know, these sort of joint uh, storage things, whenever someone updates something, it's, it lets you know they updated mm -hmm. something, so go on all class. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so there's that. And so tomorrow we're celebrating the Feast of Epiphany here, Mass at 6 o'clock at the party. And uh, you know, it'll be a live stream as well. So there's that. Um, we are starting today 1 Peter. 
we were we decided to our, our, our um, to make our tour through what are known as the um, the Catholic epistles, which means they're written kind of to everyone as opposed to like one church. Although they probably had some destiny. It's not like now where we just hey print out a hundred copies and send it. You know, <laughs> it had to go somewhere. But I think they. I don't know. I assume the thing was you'd send it out somewhere, and then they'd maybe read it and pass it on, or or somebody would copy it and keep it. But um, and so the the tradition is that is that Saint Peter wrote that this this epistle. Um, I don't like to spend a lot of time on on modern scholarship on authorship because. Um, it's a pretty much a, a bottomless pit of yeah. conjecture, yes. but um, sometimes a lot of 20th century scholars spend a lot of time determining why who who the Bible says wrote a book couldn't have written it, and most of their arguments are not very compelling. Um, it, it, it may be that uh, the the uh, the most um, significant um, Case to be made against against Peter writing it would be that people who are familiar with it say it's it's pretty good Greek and he's just a fisherman from the north. Although um, you know you're, you're still you're you're um, at the time we are Peter's writing maybe we don't know we, nobody knows when it was written 50s 60s you know he's been follower Jesus for a few decades. You know, maybe there's you you, you develop so all those conjectures aren't very. But it's also at the end of the letter we 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 find that there's a um, in verse twelve of chapter five, Sylvanus, our faithful brothers, I consider him maybe someone who's kind of like a a secretary, and that's a lot of St. Paul's letters I think are probably written by somebody, and he's kind of roaming around talking, you know, and somebody's writing it down. That's why in Galatians, where it says, um, be with what large letters I've written you with my own hand, mm -hmm. that was a unique letter because he was angry. He couldn't wait to write it down. wasn't going mm -hmm. to wait for somebody to... to so so we assume, we, 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 we follow the tradition here that, that St. Peter the Apostle um, and... Uh, is 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 the author, and it's he, he addresses it. Uh, he identifies himself in verse one: Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion. And this would have. Um, there's a lot of, of Old Testament allusions throughout First Peter, and it's it's based. All of these allusions are based on the assumption that the Old Covenant God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai has been fulfilled now in Christ, and that the church is the New Covenant community, which has inherited all the promises God made to Abraham and Moses. They're fulfilled in Christ, and the church is the New Covenant community that is the proper heir of those promises. Um, that's the New Testament's perspective. It's not just Peter's perspective. Um, so, and it's it, it so that so that that's why we'll, <clears throat> we'll have a lot of the um, 
have a lot of opportunity to consider what aspects of Old Testament promise are now being fulfilled in 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 uh, in Christ. And Peter's going to use a lot of uh, uh, allusions to that, not, not least of which will be uh, that that he's going to conceive of the church as the temple. So the, the, the churches were, there was a temple in Jerusalem that, that God told, uh, uh, well, he, there was a tabernacle that he had Moses' uh, a tent set up was they were wandering, but in, in Israel, you know, Solomon built the temple, and that was the place where God dwelt. Peter's going to be very clear that, no, this, the, the church, the, the, the God is building now in Christ, is now the place where God dwells. It's supplanted the temple. It is, I think, also why that, you know, there, there are various <clears throat> strands of, of belief that suggest that, you know, God still has a separate covenant with the Jews than he has with the church. <clears throat> you can't get that from the New Testament. <clears throat> now, the idea that, that, that God has some future um, thing he might do with his, you know, with, with the ethnic Jewish people to whom he made the ancient promises is a different thing. But, but the idea that, that, that the uh, old covenant that has been fulfilled in Christ by his blood has some enduring resonance and validity is just biblically false. Well, doesn't Jesus say... Only through me will they see the Father. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, but it's also it's also I mean even just in the language of the of of the Torah and the New Testament themselves we get this because the way you access the Father in the Temple was very provisional. You know you had to make all these sacrifices and you had a big curtain and it was very limited the way you could do it. Not everybody could you know you you. You also, you have the other thing that... Um, but Jesus tore that curtain. With the, um, I mean, the earthquake did, I guess, right? Wow. At the, at the time of his death. The, 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 oh, the, well, someone said it tore from top to bottom, so it couldn't have been. Or however it tore, it couldn't have been. It had to be... Well, it says the earthquake and the rocks were split and the temp. The, the curtain of the temple was torn too. So, so it, it sounds it sounds in the in the telling of Matthew okay. is the crucifixion narrative that, that well, is, it, is the, it is the sort of temporal phenomenon <laughs> that, that, that caused that to happen. But but that so those are all pointing to fulfillments. Mm. So and and so we are you know as much as we you know I, I think the modern world in in a good way doesn't want to wants to include everybody, doesn't want to say we're right and you're wrong, but if God has done something and fulfilled something, that's mm -hmm. what he's done. You can't undo it. <laughs> and, and, and so that's, that's kind of, that's, and Peter will definitely focus on, on that, on those kinds of themes as well. And he's uh, buried in Rome, in Peter's in Rome. Yes. They say. I think they say, yeah. I think there's <clears throat> There's um, some of these things are, are but I, I think that's probably because uh, there was probably a, a, a great reverence for his remains mm -hmm. as much as they were there. But uh, that, yeah, that's right. And then the idea, <clears throat> let's go on. Excuse me, my, <clears throat> my throat there. Um, 
let's read on through this because some of the points we want to talk about are just going to be made in the verses themselves. So Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So what does the word apostle mean? Called one. Sent out. Sent out. Sent out. One who's sent. So um, so the <clears throat> when you claim to be an apostle, you're claiming authority. I've been sent. Jesus called, and it makes you an authorized voice. <clears throat> we got a little bit of that in, in St. John with, with less, um, less direct uh, reference to, the, um, to being an apostle, but he said, we, we saw, <clears throat> excuse me, we tell you, and, now, and because that's the case, this witness is authentic. And that's kind of, you know, Peter, eyewitnesses who are passing this on. That's really the, <clears throat> the importance of, of apostle is eyewitness and authorized testimony <clears throat> that you can count on, as opposed to what somebody thought might be the case. Okay. Which, is why, <clears throat> which is why for us the scriptures and... Um, The tradition of the church, in as much as it enshrines what is ancient and universal, is so important. And it's why we distinguish that from what somebody comes along and begins to teach. If we, if we compare that to what's said in the scriptures, as the church has always understood them, that's the tradition, <clears throat> we find this to be, no, this isn't saying this, we know that's an error. John told us to test the spirits. Well, that's how you test them. Okay, you're saying this. St. Peter, St. John, St. Matthew all say this. So he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. That's, that's, this is a standard letter reading. He writes, to the pilgrims of the dispersion. And there's a couple of important, well, let's read all the geography of that. The pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. Um, so he's, he's <clears throat> writing to, uh, the, this whole idea of, of, of uh, dispersion, what is that significance of that in Jewish tradition? The diaspora, they've been persecuted, so they've scattered. Mm -hmm. So scattered. so where did that begin biblically? Like captivity, like Babylon? Okay. When they were taken out? So so in the Old oh, Testament... Yeah. Um, Egypt. Yeah, I mean, the Old Testament, you you had... Uh, when was... Uh, well, let's set the table for this. So chronologically, um, the Israel... Um, was a united nation under a united monarchy around 1000 BC, where, and, and, the, and the united monarchy was King Saul, King David, and King Solomon, where there was one Israel under one king. And a lot of, as we, as, you know, we read in the Psalms, the idea of the promises made to the king's son, you know, we think of the son of God, but biblically it would be David's son Solomon, the heir of the promises, and like Christ is ultimately David's son. So, so that that um, Solomon reigned till about 930 BC, and then the the, the two kingdoms Israel was split into two, 
a northern kingdom called Israel with the capital of Samaria that later was developed, and then the southern kingdom called Judah with its capital at Jerusalem. And, and that two-kingdom framework prevailed for another uh, couple hundred years until the 700s when the northern kingdom, in its unfaithfulness, the prophets speak of this, uh, end up being um, conquered by the Assyrians. And um, the Assyrians had a policy of resettlement. They would, when they conquered a people, they would move some of their people into that land and take some of the people and move them elsewhere. So that would be the first dispersion of Jewish people. It's also said that when the Assyrians uh, came and resettled, um, some Jews just left. So, like, we get to the New Testament, we have this, this phenomenon of the Samaritans are, are partly the, the descendants of this remnant of the northern kingdom which practiced some kind of biblical religion, but they intermarried and adopted, and, and that's why the Orthodox Jews in the south, in Jerusalem, in the temple, didn't, it, you know, thought Samaritans were just, you know, uh, wrong. And Jesus said they were wrong, too. Um, but that would be the first dispersion. But it's also the, 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 the Jews also believe that when the northern, northern kingdom consisted of ten tribes, and sometimes you, you think the Assyrians, that was the sort of the, the lost tribes. But some people say they weren't lost. A lot of them just immediately migrated south and continued on, so they could have been continuing tribal identities. Then 150, 100 you know, 40 years later, 30 years later, the southern kingdom with the capital at Jerusalem was conquered by the Babylonians. And that's the event that's the Babylonian exile, captivity, where the Babylonians took Jewish people into exile in Babylon, and some remained in the land. But this is the beginning of the dispersion, that the, some people fled to other cities, and, and though Jewish people came back and rebuilt, so the temple was destroyed in 586, it was rebuilt in 515 BC, uh, and then it was uh, the um, it was um, to give a little bit of background that, that Solomon built a beautiful temple, which was destroyed in 586 BC. Um, it was rebuilt in 515. It wasn't beautiful in its rebuilt form, but in the century before the coming of Christ, King Herod to curry favor with the Jews, uh, undertook a remodeling project and made it beautiful, which is why when in the New Testament the disciples say, to, say look how beautiful the temple is, but it wasn't beautiful when they rebuilt it. As a matter of fact, most of the Jewish people cried. It's like we had this beautiful temple, now we got this thing. So, um, so that was the dispersion, dispersed by the Assyrian uh, invasion of the north, dispersed by the Babylonian captivity, and so Jews began to settle around the ancient world, and that's where uh, synagogues were formed. And though, it, and and because after the um, after the Babylonian exile, though the Jews returned, and though they had a brief period of independence about a couple hundred years before Christ, they were always subject to foreign rulers and never were completely free to govern themselves and do what they wanted in their own land. And so th this, this gets to the point of 
of this category of exile, which is both a geographic exile, that is, in its sense of Jews taken to Babylon and removed from the land, but that's really symbolic of the greater exile, which is the distance from God caused by sin. And um, we've, we've, those who've been, you know, tuned into morning prayer during during um, Christmas tide, you know, and, and Advent, we have the extended readings from Isaiah, which talks about the exile as a consequence of sin, and then God proclaiming, I'm going to bring you back from exile. And so that's something that uh, um, is picked up here this, uh, of, of that though they are geographically dispersed, they are participating in the return from exile, which God has begun in Christ. Christ calls all back from the exile of sin into communion with God through faith in him and by means of his blood, which, which atones for our sins. So now the, the, the category of mere geographic exile um, becomes the, under, the understanding of spiritual exile that is then resolved in Christ, which has, so like, it, it, but it, and, and so the, the idea of return from exile to some degree, we were talking about this morning, like if you take Isaiah seriously, like I'm going to bring you back and dwell on your land, you know, just the sheer number of even international Jewish people, if all of them were just, they wouldn't all, you know, you, you could, they couldn't all come to the temple. So you, but what happens in Christ who fulfills the temple, fulfills the priesthood, fulfills the Torah, and all come back through him, we can, you can come to Christ uh, in any place. But geographically, this is why the local church uh, gathering for the Eucharist is seen as kind of the, the, the um, recapitulation of the whole. We can participate in this reality of coming from our exile, coming back to God in Christ, and that can happen. It's, so it's, it, we can, you, the localized pattern illustrates the global phenomenon that can happen in every place. And there's a prophecy actually in Malachi that says, um, it's probably worth reading after I go on like this. Um, But the, the prophecy, um, Yeah, I'm having trouble finding the verse, but the prophecy essentially says um, um, that, 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 that the time is coming when uh, 
in every place an offering we made to God. Actually, I can find it with a prayer book because it's it's our um, it's actually our one of our our daily office sentences for Epiphany. And it's important to this theme of exile biblically. So. Um, Yeah, it's Malachi. Oh, it's Malachi one eleven. Where it is. But it says this: um, From the rising of the sun, even to the going down of that the, the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles, and in every place incense shall be offered unto my name in a pure offering. For my name should be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. That's Malachi on the last chronological book, chapter 1, verse 11. The importance of that from the exile theme I'm, I'm highlighting here is that um, the Jews believed that uh, incense and a, a offering, a pure offering, a sacrifice could be made in one place. That's the temple in Jerusalem. So when Malachi prophesies that in every place, now, the Jews certainly understood the sacrifice of praise, but, but, but because the, fulfilled, the, the, the concept of sacrifice was necessary for the forgiveness of sins, you had to offer it the way Moses said to, in that place, by that priesthood. And so Malachi is prophesying, therefore, that as the gospel is the Gentiles, in every place, the offering can be made. And that that highlights both the ubiquitous nature of the church's praise and most specifically how the Eucharist, which, which is the memorial of the sacrifice that Christ has offered to fulfill all, is everywhere offered. Sorry. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. He always does it better than we expected. <laughs> that God, you know. That's amazing. I know. I'll pull this together some understandable way. But um, but that theme of exiles, we talked to the pilgrims of the dispersion, is referring to this. And the, the other thing, the dispersion, diaspora, also pilgrims. This is another central theme of Peter, that this is not a permanent home. This world is not a permanent home. Um, and so we're, 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 uh, uh, we're sojourning here. He's going to play that. He's going to use, when he gets later on in our epistle, we, he's going to use Abraham as a kind of an illusion. Because, because when Abraham, um, when Abraham looked for a, a burial cave for Sarah in Genesis, Mm-hmm. He didn't. He was a. He was what we would call a resident alien. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so he didn't have any right to property. So he went to the natives and said, "Can I buy a cave to bury the dead?" Because he says, "I'm a a stranger and sojourner," or it would be a a, a, a sojourn, a pilgrim, it's the same two words that Peter's going to draw in here mm-hmm. as an allusion to how we're supposed to see. And that's actually a, it's one of the, um, the allusion's actually going to be sort of more powerful than that on the level of, so 
Abraham didn't own it. The only thing he owned in the Promised Land was a burial cave, which has its own symbolism of the resurrection. So you have a hope. You bury your dead. You have a hope of resurrection. And when the dead rise, they'll come into the inheritance that now, that now, where now there's just sojourners and pilgrims. So those things, pilgrims of dispersion, and all uh, in all those various places. Um, which is sort of Asia Minor, cities of Asia Minor. Elect. So this is according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. This is verse 2 now. So where does that word elect come from? Biblically. Chosen. Chosen. Mm -hmm. Who was God's chosen people? The Jewish people. Jewish, I mean, and who Abraham. specifically did he choose? Abraham. Abraham. And some other people. Noah, sort of. And Noah, sort yeah. of. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> older person. <laughs> yeah, it's woman. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Pretty important choice. Yeah. Um, so, again, when he calls them elect, he's identifying with you're the chosen people. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, um, literally in Greek, prognosis, to know ahead of time. So here we can we can go down the rabbit hole: predestination and free will, if you want to. Um, but the foreknowledge of God, I think, the main problem that uh, or the main issue emphasized in this is that the sovereignty of God. And I think one thing I'll, I'll encourage uh, in our growth in understanding of the faith is that most of the profound truths that we embrace involve some measure of what we will call paradox. Mm -hmm. That is, two things mm -hmm. that seem to butt up, but they both are true. And... To have a truly contemplative faith that understands the mystery of God is past what we get, we have to embrace that paradox, meditate on it. To, to try to resolve it ends up it usually in, in a different kind of error. So the paradox here, a lack according to the foreknowledge of God, God knows ahead of time his people. He knew you. Before you were born. That's so the question is then, well, then that the idea of predestination, so well and if if he knew this was gonna happen and all this, what role does our choice have in it? Well, according to the scriptures, pretty significant role, mm -hmm. because we're told repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and it presumes that you're <laughs> Doing that, repenting, is part of how you enter the kingdom. And so, um, so that the, 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 the paradox then is between the sovereignty, foreknowledge of God, that everything is in accordance with his will, and, the, and the, on the other hand, that we have some, some choice. Mm -hmm. we, can, we can make a decision that has an impact. Um, and I, I just think, you know, that um, I would say that uh, historically in the West, Calvinism had tended to, in its extreme forms, resolve that in, in ways that 
that figured everything out. This is what it meant, and 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 we just uh, you you could also resolve it in the other way where you make Jesus less than Lord. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of like, well, God's doing the best He can. We really <laughs> need to get human beings to make better decisions, or you know, He can't really handle it without us. Mm-hmm. Um, and the one thing I've, I've kind of my my meditation on this, which endures, is simply that. We can't resolve those things, but both of the things are really needed for meaningful life. Mm-hmm. What do I mean by that? Mm-hmm. So, um, the most scary thing would be that, like, we were really in charge. It's like, um, you ever see, like, a, a kid who's been given too much responsibility, it's like, and that actually causes trouble for kids. Or like, mm-hmm. you know, they demand to drive the car. And then all those, when they find out, I'm actually, I don't know, I got the car. <laughs> so, so um, what we find ourselves in our lives feeling completely alone, like God is not in control, that's a scary place. Uh, that, 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 and on the other hand, if we, if we have a situation where it's kind of determined, you know, God is, you know, he's predestined you, and he knows what you're going to do, and you don't really have a choice in the matter, um, uh, which kind of, kind of becomes kind of dark, you know, and deterministic. It, it was, there was a caricature of, the, of an old Christian saying, where, which was caricatured Calvinism as saying, God hates you and has a horrible plan for your life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Schuler used to say God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, but Calvinism is dark determinism gets into this. It just seems like, oh, no, I'm under the heavy hand and I know God loves me, but it's almost like, um, it's almost like what, what's, what manifests itself in some Islamic places where God is the compassionate and the merciful, but he just doesn't seem all that compassionate and merciful in the way it plays itself out. <laughs> So we're holding these truths, to, these tensions together. God is, he knows who he is. He's not letting us go. But we still have agency to respond to that love and to, and to bring, you know, and to bring him into our lives in new ways and to follow him. And, and, and what we do still matters. So our lives have meaning, but we're not driving the bus. <laughs> and that's kind of, in a certain way, this is resolved to me in the life of prayer where we, um, you know, where we don't know what to do in our lives. We come to our prayer and we offer the unmanageable parts of life to God. I don't know how to do this. And from our prayer, we understand, okay, here's what I'm called to do. I can go do these things. Mm-hmm. I'll trust God with the, with, you know, the bus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it reminds me of a, I don't know why, but it was the movie. I think like the movie Anchorman. It was pretty funny, yeah. but they're uh, they're they're like all the crew is in this uh, RV. They're driving, and they're all sitting back having a good time. And all and and also, well, who's driving? And and, and Will Ferrell says, oh, I put it on cruise control. That's an actually steer. But but so when we hand it over, we've okay, God. Yeah, I don't know how it's all come together. Let me focus on the things I'm, I'm called to do. We have to do that every single day mm-hmm. because we get overwhelmed. We have to come back. And that's kind of what happens at the altar of God. We give him, okay, you do this. We get back our 
particular vocational sense, which you need to renew every day. Multiple times. Yeah. yeah. Times, yeah. <laughs> so, so, okay, so the foreknowledge of God, the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. The very Trinitarian reference there. The foreknowledge of God the Father, who sanctifies in the Spirit, and then the blood of Jesus, which which is now um, the cleansing sacrificial blood that fulfills all of the Old Testament sacrifices. If um, if, if there's a, a profound scene at the foot of Mount Sinai where Moses, um, they're about ready to to um, ascend the mountain and uh, Moses offers a sacrifice and he takes the blood he says behold the blood of the covenant and he sprinkles the actual blood on the people mm-hmm. and sprinkled in that blood the elders ascend and they're in God's presence mm-hmm. we're supposed to you know we're God's presence we're supposed to be torched we're not getting torched mm-hmm. So the sprinkling of the blood of Christ in that in that sanctifying blood, we can enter into God's presence mm-hmm. in the Spirit, mm-hmm. and that blood of Jesus fulfills that sacrificial offering of Moses. Because what 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 um, Moses said, "Behold, the blood of the covenant," and then Jeremiah in Jeremiah thirty one thirty one said, "The day is coming; I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah." And then Jesus said, this is my blood of the new testament and covenant are the same words. So don't get tripped up on that. Of the new covenant. And so that's where we come. This is the blood. And again, just as we noticed how the, the exile was, was the return from exile is accomplished everywhere. So that one blood can be ubiquitously present for everyone. It doesn't, you know, and, and so that it can be accessed. All, 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 everywhere, and it doesn't preclude, I would say this one thing I would note about this, it doesn't preclude our individual prayer, but there's a distinctly communal dimension of the church, of the, of the, of the, of the, of the redeemed body being the body, the church. I'm not just out on an island by myself, even if I happen to be in geographic uh, distance. Mm-hmm. Um, Bishop, I'm thinking about um, that sprinkling of the blood it's, it's for me when I think about it. It is like the imputation of Christ within us. It is that righteousness that we are given by the grace of God um, as we trust, as you know, all those things occur. But it's the same story, Old Testament, New Testament. As you were saying, it's just it's just a different way of expressing it. With the sprinkling of the blood, it's how we, as New Testament Christians, come into faith also. It is by the righteousness of Christ that we are baptized into that same faith. It's how I think of it. I think that's right. Now, mm-hmm. I, But I think it does move forward, and, and the sanctification of the Spirit is significant here because... Um, yeah. The Spirit now in the New Covenant indwells us, right. the raws in our hearts. And, and because the Spirit now indwells us, it's not just an exterior thing that rests on certain kinds of people in the community. Right. 
there could be an actual beginning to do what the law says to do yeah. in a progressive way. Yeah. With that, uh, you know, when I think of Abraham being declared righteous, you know, yeah. because of his walk of faith and because, I mean, the whole thing ties together in my mind. Yes, I think you're right. Mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm with you all the way on that. Mm-hmm. I, it just, there's one, um, it, 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 it's again the paradox, and I think this is something, again, that gets, um, gets missed uh, if, we, if we run one way or the other. Uh-huh. So the idea that, that it's Christ's righteousness, that is to say that we're declared righteous because he has fulfilled the, the, the law for us, um, that the complementary and paradoxical other side of that is we're supposed to now in the spirit go and sin no more and do the good things. Mm-hmm. And so they're always held that we're, and that is kind of in, liturgically for us, it has to do with, um, you know, we come as penitents, have mercy on us. We've sinned in thought, word, and deed. We receive forgiveness and the gift. Now, go do the good works that God prepared you to walk in. Mm-hmm. And you, you you don't get excused like, I, I don't, it doesn't matter. It does matter that you do the good works, but you can't do it apart from the grace. And so that, that sort of pattern of, of death and resurrection, of confession, grace, forgiveness, new life manifested in new behavior mm-hmm. is a continual pattern in Christian life. Mm-hmm. But we can't, we can't, so the, sometimes the, the thing I just wanted to harp on a little bit was some people really take that, the, the forensic declaration, and we're just forgiven, so it doesn't really matter what we do. Mm-hmm. You're forgiven, so it does matter what you do, because you've been made something you weren't before. Mm-hmm. And then on the other hand, you go too far, and it's like, you know, if you don't love perfectly, yeah. you know, God's going to nail you. And that's the sort of uh, emphasis on, on um, and, and the, the paradox is always that it's, we're forgiven through the blood of Jesus as a gift. And, and as we receive the gift, we're, we're, we're able to be new people and, and we can love. We're free to love. And that and loving in a new way is the evidence that we've received the gift. There's, there's a verse in this that um, <coughs> has struck me. It's Romans um, chapter 8. Verse 3 and 4, I'll read it for you. It says, for what the law could not do, the law, whenever you read the law in the New Testament, usually you want to think of Torah, you know, the law of Moses, not, not some generic moral law. What the Torah could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. But here's the kicker verse that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who don't walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Uh-huh. So that we, this is a paradox of, so he did this in Christ so that, and that he could, we could be forgiven. We could get the spirit so that now we can actually begin to, to do these things. Mm-hmm. Not perfectly, progressively. So anyway, mm-hmm. there's that, that paradox. And, and that would, part of the captivity of the Old Testament, that as long as sin wasn't finally atoned for, the gift of the Spirit that could make us new wasn't available. 
So this is why Pentecost is like the beginning of the new creation. And it's why in Easter, when, when Jesus says to breathe on them and says, receive the spirit whose sins you've forgiven, they are forgiven. That gift of forgiveness enables people to become new. That wasn't, it was only provisionally possible in the Old Testament. So you could kind of live in fellowship with God, but it wasn't union, communion. It was sin was covered, not washed away. And so, um, so now we're, we're, we've, it, it's, and we can actually enter into this reality of being forgiven. We can actually change and do new things. And in that whole uh, new creation image where you realize that in the beginning, God spoke the word. And in the beginning, in Genesis 3, the spirit moved over the waters. So, as Christmas says, the Christmas epistle, Christmas Day epistle, God in Christ in these last days has spoken through his Son. As we receive that word, the Spirit comes. So it's the same pattern of creation that comes to us in the new creation. Okay. So grace to you and peace be multiplied. And, and so the, 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 the whole of that section was a, a, a address, who he's talking to um, addressing it to them, defining them. They are the elect according to the foreknowledge of God who've been sanctified by the Spirit and the blood of Jesus. A little more than just, you know, hey, dear John. <laughs> Grace to you and peace be multiplied, which is a standard. Uh, words like gra grace and peace would actually be used in ordinary letters, but they often they took on a new meaning in the Christian sense. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, uh, 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 there's a few things to really highlight there. Uh, it's, it's a, this is very Jewish too, blessed be God. In, in, you'll see this, this kind of form in, in um, contrast in the Bible where in the Jewish parlance, you bless God for things. Whereas in the sort of more Greek parlance, you give thanks to God for things. So a Jewish man, blessed art thou, the Lord God, who did these things. We would say, Lord, thank you for these things. <laughs> so Peter hears, blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, according to his abundant mercy. So this is about mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. Now, begotten us again, um, what does that language speak of? Being reborn in Christ. And, and so this speaks as a language of us becoming children of God. God has begotten us again. 
to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, it's important to understand that though Peter doesn't say in so many words, you know, I'm talking about your baptism, the language that comes down to us about baptism simply highlights this. What, you know, um, propitiously, it opened right up. <laughs> um, we, we pray um, in baptism that, that, that uh, none, as much as none can enter the kingdom of God except to be regenerate and born anew of, of water and the Holy Ghost, begotten us again. And then through, through the resurrection, we pray in baptism um, grant that this thy servant may die to sin and rise to newness of life. So, Christ has died and rose. We're baptized into this experience of dying and rising, which we, which be, which we are, we, which we come into in baptism through faith, and which we experience progressively as we die more and more to sin and come alive more and more. So, um, so my, my, I guess my point here is is Peter clearly has the baptismal experience of the church in view here, born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled. Um, inheritance is interesting because even in the um, that's language of, um, in the Office of Instruction on page 273, uh, it actually, what's your name, here's my name, where to get this name? My sponsor gave me this name in baptism, wherein I was made a member of Christ, the child of God, and an inheritor of the kingdom of heaven. And the idea that Christ, being the, the Son of God, who's become man, is the inheritor of Christ's kingdom. So if we're baptized, excuse me, inheritor of God's kingdom, as we're baptized into him, we become what we can call co-heirs. In him, we also inherit the kingdom. That's what, you, that's what he's saying here. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Now, incorruptible and undefiled here would mean to contrast the inheritance that comes to us in baptism through faith in which we grow into in the Christian life with like an earthly inheritance. You inherit property or money. And that is not um, incorruptible and undefiled. As Jesus said, don't lay up for yourself treasures upon earth where moth and rust corrupt and thieves break through and steal. That Something can happen to that. But this inheritance, nothing can happen to it. It's a, it's a living thing that we hold on to by faith. Faith sees it, grasps it, and, that, and, that's, and, and that's the way that, that we understand that. Now, it says reserved in heaven for you. Um, and it's really important, I just think, again and again, to highlight, because our culture misuses the concept of heaven. 
as a final place. We're going to die and go to heaven and be with God forever. And that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that um, Christ ascended to heaven. And the dead in him somehow exist in an intermediate state of paradise or rest or sleeping in him. But it's not their final destination. They don't die and go to this. That's not. The, 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 the final hope is he will come, he will raise the dead, and we will all come into our inheritance of the new heavens and the new earth. So reserved in heaven means this is coming. It's it's. It's ready when God reveals this full inheritance, because our inheritance is not just uh, a generic eternal life, it's a new body. And when you die, you don't get that right away. When you die, when we die, our body is buried, and our spirit somehow, or soul, how we conceive of the essence of this, is somehow the only words the New Testament uses with Christ asleep in paradise. But all those are intermediate, awaiting the sound of the trumpet, the command of, of, of God, the raising, the reuniting of ourselves to the body. And this is something that St. Paul gets at in, in uh, I can't remember, it's, it's Corinthian, one of the early chapters of one of the Corinthian epistles where, he, where he's wrestling with this, it's like, we, we, we groan in this tent, this earthly tabernacle, not because we want to be unclothed. We don't want to be just pure spirit. We want to be rather, we want this mortality of our body to be swallowed up into a body that has life eternal. So our inheritance involves both a, new, uh, the, the, uh, a renewed creation, but also a body that can inhabit it that doesn't die, like Jesus' resurrection body. And, and I just think in our time, you've heard me go off in this often enough, you've been around Bible study long enough, but it's, it doesn't go away, so I have to keep <laughs> hammering on it, because everyone, we die to heaven, that's, that's not, that's, we certainly are comforted by the idea that death is not taken away our eternal life. There's an enduring existence of life in Christ. We don't really know what that's like, and a lot of error has arisen out of it, trying to. I've noticed something with scripture studies that people opine on concepts in inverse proportion to what is actually known. The less is said, the more conjecture, and it goes on into. And that's where the whole idea of purgatory and, you know, and how you get out of that came up in the Middle Ages is, is we're, we're working out a, 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 an understanding that, that then becomes, in some places, patently non-biblical. So we'll get another body, and then we'll go through all of this again, a different life? Forever. Well, the, the, the idea is we'll enter into a life that does not end. That you've already entered into a life that does not end. That's the, that's the gospel. You have this thing through the Spirit. And the, the Christian is a longing for the completion of that in the resurrection, where we enter fully into... Uh, um, the, 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 that mode of existence in which there, no, there is no more death. Because that says in 1 Corinthians, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. That's what St. Paul says. And so that's, that's bodily death. 
Mm-hmm. Is death has already been destroyed, but when but but that's the last thing that's going to be done away with in the new creation is is that the life that we're living has an end. It won't. And so um it's a little bit hard for us, I think, to fathom entirely, um, especially what our world would be like without evil in it. Wait. Can't wait. <laughs> um, and, and how... Um, but anyway, my, but my main point for today is that is the hope, is, is entering into the new creation in, in our bodies. I look for the resurrection of the dead and life will become, but believe in the resurrection of the body. That there's no sense that the Christian hope is merely, and if you, you know, again, read your Bible. Almost every single New Testament writing has a reference to the coming of Christ and or the resurrection. Very scant references to, to the idea of, of, of heaven as a final resting place. Ask you a question. So, what yes. is the word for heaven here? You know, because you hear that, you know, heaven. So, what is that word there? Do well, you... it's always uranos uh, in the Greek, but it just has different meanings depending on context. So, it can mean heaven can mean merely the sky, or it can mean the place where God dwells, or it could mean it, it has different nuances of meaning depending on what where what sentence it's in. Okay. But there's not a, there's not like we did like the time thing. There's Kairos and Kronos, and that's just using one, more or less, just one word okay. that, that that derives meaning from. Thank you. I'm going to read a little bit more, and then we'll. We may not get the whole chapter in, but we'll we'll make it next time if we want to. Um. So you're kept by the power of God for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And that is the, uh, the, uh, I don't like this, the eschatos kairos. Yeah. That's the, the time that Christ will be revealed. So that's exactly the Christian hope. You now live in union with Christ, sanctification in the spirit. Um, you have an inheritance uncorruptible one to five reserve, it will be revealed when he appears. And it doesn't matter whether you die first. Because and that, because that's something that the even New Testament deals with. Um, um, it, for example, in Thessalonians, the verse that is our uh, funeral epistle, the, the issue was some people thought that the resurrection is going to take place very soon, and they wondered, well, if you died before the resurrection, would you miss out? <laughs> so St. Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning those who have fallen asleep, so you're not sar- sad like those who have any hope. We believe Jesus died and rose again, so he will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. And then St. Paul says, this I say by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord will descend from heaven, there will be a trumpet sound, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then, those who are alive will be spontaneously transformed. 
And, and I think the image of that that pertains to this that's significant is um, because I, I, it's, it's significant enough in our part in, in the world we live in to dwell on this a little bit. That's the verse. He says, "We." He says, "We who are alive will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air, in the clouds." Now, that's the verse that from which they get the, the erroneous idea of the rapture. Have you ever heard of any of that stuff? It's this framework of belief called dispensationalism. And in their belief, you're caught up with the Lord in the clouds, and he's going to take you away somewhere. But I think the best take on that comes from, that I've read, I'm sure a lot of people say it, but N.T. Wright who says, no, what's happening is we're caught up with the Lord. He's coming into his inheritance to transform the earth. We're caught up with him to, to join him in the procession into our inheritance. Not caught up to be spirited away. We're caught up then to 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 uh, to 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 enter into what we've been promised in Christ, and that framework is the New Testament framework. It's not unique to Peter. It's not unique to Paul, because the the Jewish the Jewish people, their hope was resurrection. There was no sense in Jew in Jewish thought that you die and go to heaven and that would be good enough. No, God promised land, inheritance, embodied existence in a place. And it's, it's more of the Greek influence that came in with this idea of immortality of the soul, that, that the body is something you don't really want to have a part of, you go live this purely spiritual life, is utterly unbiblical. Although it, it's all over kind of our culture. Um, Okay. Well, we got through uh, five verses of Peter, and I promised <laughs> right. the whole chapter. But uh, uh, we'll, right. we'll, we'll move more pace as we move along. I'm certain that if we have to take a little more time, it's all worth it, I think. Any questions about any of that or any comments? Just take your time. Uh, what's Cheryl? <laughs> oh, she's. Oh, you're a I had to pick up my son okay. and the dog. <laughs> All right, we'll close the prayer. Let's pray. The Lord bless us and keep us. The Lord make his face to shine upon us, be gracious unto us. The Lord lift up his countenance upon us, give us peace this day and forevermore. Amen. So if you're all down for this and seeing I don't believe anyone's coming who can't make it up, maybe we just plan to be here. Yes. I, I like this, but I feel like our online people can converse with us, can hear all the conversation. I feel like it's more like a yeah, like unified class. So we would have frozen out there today. We wouldn't have heard a word either. I look at Adrienne in Colorado looking at you like, oh, uh, yeah, was it 59 out there? <laughs> well, in Colorado, they wouldn't try an outside Bible study. Have to no, say that. they wouldn't put us through that. <laughs> it's 39 degrees here. It's pretty warm for what we've had lately. As you see, see to work. <laughs> anyway, good to have everyone here. We'll pick up from Five. verse 6. six. <laughs>
All right. We didn't promise. She just said, we'll try. Do you want me to turn this off? Yeah, go ahead and push that.